0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor AJ Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter. Saul is chosen to be king here in 1 Samuel chapter 9. Yesterday, we were looking at how really all these things were set in motion, how there's all these transitions. The people were asking for a king. Samuel's like, are you sure you really want to do that? Well here they're going they're going to get their king and it's just so fascinating the way that Saul is described we kind of hinted at it last time you know uh, I think that a lot of uh, Christians look we think of Saul as like all oh, bad king Saul he was a guy who was after David um but really when you look at how this story starts off uh, so many good things about Saul and what he represents and it just is another picture here of God raising up a messiah uh who is humble, has uh, humble beginnings, comes from a humble tribe. There's a lot of things that are very, very good about this picture of what the chosen King of God is supposed to be like, which of course points the way to the Lord Jesus. So a lot lot of good things to not overlook here um, and, and appreciate, stop and appreciate this. We're joined today by our guest, Pastor Thomas Eckstein, Pastor Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota, Welcome back, brother. How are you doing? And uh, yeah, this is uh you know, let's not let's not just kind of give sh- Saul the short shrift here, right?
1: Right. Yeah. um, You know, I was interesting in preparing for this, I was reading the previous chapters, and just in the previous chapter, chapter 8, you know, uh, Israel asked for a king, and and Samuel, you know, is very clear, you know, uh, the Lord is not happy with this. (laughs) And I I think behind all that is, is I, I think of what it says at the end of the book of Judges, you know, in this time Israel had no king. And when you read that from from, from a wider context, you think, really? Uh, Isn't God their king? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think that's really the issue here. God is really their king, but by wanting a king like the nations around them, they're they're forgetting that. And uh, so not only does Samuel warn them that, you know, hey, having a king is going to mean, you know, uh, that your lives are going to change and not for the better, but they still want one anyway. Um, And uh, God says, okay, I'll give them what they want. Now, uh, but as you said, uh, at least in chapter 9, we, we find out that at the beginning, uh, Saul is humble and, and he has some good qualities. Um, but of course, like in, any person uh, after Adam, uh, uh, the best of us are still sinners, and and so there's always potential for someone to fall away. Uh, we, we think of Solomon. You know, he had a great beginning, uh, but we know what happened to him. And, uh, and uh, so, yes, yeah, Saul starts out well, and... Uh, and, and, and in many ways displays some Christ-like qualities. But, but finally, you know, the only time we get the perfect king is in Christ himself. He's the one who is perfect and never fails us. And uh, even with King David, you know, as, as yeah. we'll get to that later in Samuel, even with all his wonderful qualities, we know that he had his uh, failings as well. But, yeah. uh, but at least here in chapter 9, we find out, you know, okay, God's going to give them what they want. He's already warned them. But, but in mercy... Uh, at least initially, uh, uh, he gives them uh, a man who is 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 at least from from the beginning. Anyway, seems like he's going to be a, a decent guy. So uh, yeah. we we uh, have this message in First Samuel nine.
0: Yeah, I think I think so. that's really the the takeaway. Not that like oh well, Saul, Saul was really no good, and, and David he he was the real thing. It's just as you were saying, really. I mean, all of these guys chosen by God. Um, I mean, in many ways, they were the best that Israel had to offer. Um, You know, these were were really, I mean, as far as just kind of human standards go, really great men for the job, right? The exact kind of guy you'd want to put in this position. Um, but it's sort of like you were saying. It's like uh, the, this whole king idea wasn't a good idea, <laughs> and, right. and part of that's just because you give you give any person you you give a, a saint literally right um, all this power right and it, it it corrupts even even the best of us. So uh, yeah, I mean I, I think that kind of understanding it that way and seeing this really as an indictment of sinful human nature of how weak we are to the temptations of power really seeing how, uh, I mean, all of us succumb uh, to power in different ways. Right. Uh, Yeah, yeah, in fact, you know,
1: uh, this is a side note, but, you know, the founding fathers of our nation at least understood the fact that that power in the hands of a of, of few or, or one can inevitably be corrupted, they understood the sinful nature uh, of humans, and so uh, you know the wisdom of having some checks and balances you know in our government, but even then we still have a sinful government uh, we will never have a perfect ideology or government this side of heaven because uh, it 's run by sinners it 's run by us but That's but fair. but at least we learn in in, in and you know, uh, chapters eight and nine here are for Samuel. That yeah, you 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 if you centralize power in just one figure uh, who is by nature a sinner, you're looking for trouble.
0: In, in, indeed, and uh, it is so we kind of know inevitably, you know, where where it's going to happen. You know, God kind of you know really, in chapter 8 said, this isn't going to turn out well. You're, you're putting yourselves back into slavery, basically, voluntarily. You know, what what are you doing? <laughs> like, I, you know, I took you yeah, out right. of Egypt for that reason. But but in, here in the beginning, you know, it it is good to stop and just see how— uh, I mean, because it really, I think, speaks to the mercy of God, that God can, in the midst of our terrible, bad, bad ideas, <laughs> right? right, work so much good— out of that situation, right? And it doesn't it doesn't change the fact that it was a bad idea, right? It doesn't change the fact that, that you know the people um you know sinned here, you know, that we sinned as God's people here. But I mean it just shows how I mean wow, like how God can just turn these situations upside down. And uh yeah, like and like you were saying, like how, how you do see some Christ like qualities um yeah. in Saul here. And so it's uh, it's nice to to not just skip over this, this beginning part, just because we know how the story ends. Um, so in that spirit, let's go ahead and uh, get to this part of the story and just read it over here. As we get started, would you go ahead and open us up with a prayer?
1: Yes. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and uh, especially as the election of our own nation uh, comes up, uh, it's real tempting for us to put our trust in, in uh, uh, various individuals to, to, to save our nation. But, Lord, help us to remember that from your own word you tell us not to trust in princes. Uh, Lord, even though government is a gift from you, uh, it, it can still fail, especially when the leaders turn away from you. So, so help us to remember, Lord, that, that whoever is in office, uh, we ultimately have to trust in you. And, and seek your ways, and uh, and and realize that, that this side of heaven, uh, we're never going to have a perfect world. Uh, that's only going to happen when your son returns and establishes his kingdom. Until then, Lord, help us to be faithful to you. Help us to pray for our leaders, that they might be blessed by your wisdom, but ultimately help us to put our trust in you, because you alone are truly our king. In your name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Yeah, I I appreciate uh, some of the dots you're connecting for us there, especially a couple of of the guests this week have pointed out that we had Romans 13 this past Sunday in the three-year electionary, looking at 1 Samuel, I mean, this is all very fitting for (laughs) um, the the September in an election year, Um, (laughs) but we'll hopefully be able to make uh, some more of those connections today. Uh, Let's go ahead, though, and read through the chapter uh so just, just recall at the end of chapter 8 uh you know Samuel he, he was, he's told by god just okay obey their voice make them a king he says you know go every man to his city so in in, in other words all right guys fine it, you can go now like i'll i'll do it you know um and so th- we're kind of just left here within the story like okay so you know who's he going to pick what you know like what's what's going to happen uh so it, it, the story picks up right there in chapter 9. Here it is from the top. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphia, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Now, the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, take one of the young men with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Shashilah, Shalisha, but they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shalim, but they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. When they came to the land of Zuf. Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let's go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he said to him, Behold, there is a man of God in this city, and he's a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. So now let's go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, But if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there's no present to bring the man of God. What do we have? servant answered Saul again, Here, I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I'll give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly, in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, Come, let's go to the seer, for today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Paul and Saul said to his servant, Well said, come, let's go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. As they went up to the hill Uh, on up the hill to the city, they met the young women coming out to draw water, and said to them, Is the seer here? They answered, He is. Behold, he's just ahead of you. Hurry! He's come just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you'll find him before he goes up to the high place to eat, for the people won't eat till he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now go up, for you'll meet him immediately. So they went up to the city, and as they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow, about this time, I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines." For I have seen my people, because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man whom I spoke to you of. He it is who shall restrain my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, where is the house of the seer? Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place. For today you shall eat with me, and in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for the donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house?" Saul answered, Am I not a Benjaminite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? Then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about thirty persons. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion I gave you, of which I said to you, Put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set them before Saul. And Samuel said, See, what was kept is set before you. Eat, because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat with the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. And when they had come down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he lay down to sleep. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof, up, that I may send you on your way. So Saul rose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to pass on before us, and when he's passed on, stop here for yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. It's it's really interesting. I, I was kind of stumbling over some of the It's a a kind of uh, very traditionally or conservatively translated part here. I think it kind of closely follows the King James um, in the English Standard Version here. But um, it's a really cool story. There's a lot of suspense in this chapter, um, just in terms of like, you're just like, okay, when are we going to get this king? You know, when's the king going to appear? How is this going to happen? And in fact, by the end of the chapter, we still we still actually haven't gotten him anointed or or, or chosen yet we just we're just kind of like bit by bit and and now at the very end you know the servants like going on ahead so that samuel can kind of speak to him in private but i mean like overall then there's just kind of this idea of you know god has this plan god has this choice this idea something um and in the and the meal is very symbolic right something that was set aside for him Right. And and no one gets it. No one knows it. No one expects it. No one expects a Benjaminite to be the king. But this is this is kind of overall this idea. It's like God has this secret and he is going to kind of slowly unveil this. And and I feel like that kind of whole big picture of the chapter um feels very Christological. It feels a lot like the Gospel of John, this idea that here is the Christ that God has, you know, in mind. Um, And now he's going to let you all in on this and make the revelation happen.
1: Yes. I mean, we we know from the wider picture of Scripture— that you know uh the 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 savior will ultimately come from the tribe of judah but i think the point you're making is is valid that that you know at least what we're getting here you know especially the comments about well benjamin is uh, the tribe of benjamin is so humble and i'm from a clan that's even humbler yet you know and and yeah. and, and so you know saul here is displaying even though it, obviously this the the savior doesn't come from the tribe of benjamin the point is still well taken that saul here is displaying christ-like qualities you know uh the the humility uh, of what a true king should be uh, versus, you know, lording it over. And and, and we see this in Jesus, you know, uh, uh, the the ultimate humility of humbling himself, as it says in Philippians 2, even to death on the cross, you know, uh, to to be our servant. And uh, so, yeah, we, 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 you know, here we see that God is is merciful. And, you know, uh, here we're we're presented with one of these mysteries, too. You know, know, uh, obviously God knows everything. He knows how Saul is going to eventually, you know, uh, go negative. Uh, but but he, he still uses Saul for good, even though he knows how it's going to eventually yeah. turn out. He still uses Saul initially to, to be a blessing uh, for Israel. And, and so, you know, God in his ways, you know, uh, works in, 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 uh, in situations that we don't understand to still bring us a blessing.
0: And I think that in a lot of ways, the way you were just putting it there, uh, that God knows how it's going to turn out, but he still uses Saul for good. I, I mean, I feel like in some ways that's kind of like all of us, you know, because <laughs> oh, yeah. in the end, you might say all of us turn out to be sinners. You know, I mean, we all are. I, I mean, and the thing is, I, I say like we all turn out to be because um, I feel like this is kind of like one of the insights in Lutheran theology that that even in the life of a christian like as as you go on you just kind of come to see more and more how ultimately corrupt your own heart oh, yeah. is more than you yeah. more than you realized and so from from our perspective um it can feel like as you go on in life you're like oh man like in in the end i'm actually just terrible and and i've gotten worse and it can kind of feel that way um but but really, this is the mercy of God that, you know, despite that, he's He's still going to use us, you know, these, these broken vessels for some good. And, and I think that's just such a healthy perspective to have that, you know, we, we shouldn't be on this mission to, like, purify ourselves or make ourselves attain perfection or, you know, well, I'm going to make myself have a heart of David and, and then I'll, you know, be able to serve God. But that we should just think of ourselves more as Saul and say, you know what, like, I I know I know I'm a sinner I know I'm gonna do like bad things when I look back on all of this when it's said and done but I'm just gonna pray that God use me now to do some good despite my flaws
1: yeah in fact uh, you speak real wisdom there you know the temptation to say well and obviously obviously we should crucify the sinful nature, we should live in daily repentance, Uh, we shouldn't just say, well, I'm a sinner, I'm going to sin anyway, so let's go for it. Obviously we need to live in daily contrition. But at the same time, we can also be in danger of being overly pious and putting our trust in our piety. You know, the idea that, well, I'm going to try to be hard, I'm going to try really hard to be like King David, and then I'll really be a a tool for the Lord. And and we forget, you know, what Paul says in Corinthians, you know, be careful you who think you stand lest you fall. You know, when we start thinking that we're maybe, uh, you know, a little better than we think we are, that's when we're setting ourselves up for failure. And, and we see this even in David's life. Uh, was he a, a wonderful king? Yes, but he also had his big failings. And so, you know, I remember right when I was getting ready to be sent out with my class from the seminary, one of our professors yeah. said, you know, uh, Jesus would be a much better pastor than any of you, but he's decided to use you frail uh, you know, flawed sinners. And so in spite of yourselves, he's going to use you to be a blessing to your people.
0: I love, I love that. That's, you know, cause I, I gotta confess, like, you know, how often do I think to myself, you know, like, you know, Oh, you know, like, you know, um, you know, one of the struggles, I guess, in positions of leadership, right? Delegation. Right. And, and, and you, and you think to yourself, you know, gosh, you know, I should just do this because you know, if I do it, it'll turn out better. Right. Um, And we we fall into that temptation all all the time, right? But, I mean, isn't that something like God—I mean, God's basically saying that, like, all the time, right? I mean, he's like, well, you know, I could do it myself, and it would turn out much better, but I'm going to have you do it. I mean, that's just crazy. I mean, mean, it's just like he's just handing, like, the the keys to the Corvette to, like, the toddler or something like that. Anytime he entrusts us to do anything— um, you know, so, I mean, that, that really is, ought to humble us and we ought to say, you know, like every time I'm tempted to think that like, Hey, you know, need something done right. You know, got to I have to do it myself. Anytime we're tempted to think that way, we got to remember that the fact that God does anything through us should really make us step back and say, you know what? Like, <laughs> uh, I, I need to, I need to tone myself down here and, and just realize in the big picture, I, I really don't have anything to be talking about here or complaining about
1: Right, exactly. And, you know, again, just the mysterious ways of God, if we're going to complain, well, if, if God knew how Saul was going to turn out, why didn't he pick somebody else? Well, who is he going to pick? Everyone he picks is going to be a sinner. <laughs> and yeah. uh, so God works with these broken tools. Yeah.
0: Well, and, and let, so let's go back, because that's actually a good transition, I think, to the beginning um, about why does he pick Saul? And in, in some ways, I think the answer is that he picks Saul— almost in spite of Saul, um, yeah. which which is actually—there's something really poetic about—at one point, actually, I just I just called Saul Paul while I was reading. It just happened. Um, but there's a lot of, actually, connections between the two, um, and I think, you know, one of the kind of surface-level ones is that they're both Benjaminites, right? It wasn't, yeah. wasn't Paul of Tarsus, also from the tribe of Benjamin. Um, probably has yeah. to do with why he got the name Saul. Um, it's also—I remember one of my seminary professors said—also goes and tells you something that you know if if people were still naming their children Saul, obviously they didn't look back on King Saul as a total failure right i mean right. <laughs> they right. they didn't think of him as like the worst king ever, you know like yeah I mean it's like you know no one no one names their kid Hitler right so I mean it's like <laughs> right. if if you're naming their kid Saul, they must think he was actually pretty good um but so it says he's from Benjamin. And it goes and gives us his, his, uh, kind of story background. So he comes from like a, a wealthy family, right? So, um, and it says, you know, he's a handsome young man and he's very tall. So, I mean, this is an interesting thing cause it's like on the one hand, okay, this is kind of the sort of person who would look good, uh, in front of the camera, so to speak. Right. Um, right. you know, they always say that, that like, that like taller candidates, like get more votes and things like this. So for superficial reasons. Uh, there are reasons to think that he would be good, right? You know, he's he's got wealth, he's good looking, he's tall. Um, But on the other hand, he's just, I mean, I don't know. He's just this kid who's looking for his father's donkeys. He's from the tribe of Benjamin from this like little, like no name clan.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, and it, it's interesting, uh, you're going to get to this later on, you know, um, uh, even though Saul, uh, to, to commend him, you know, even though he could be full of himself, because, you know, he is this handsome guy, he is taller, but, but he displays some real humility here. But, but, but later on, you know, God has to rebuke his people because you are saying, hey, you're looking at the outward stuff, you know, yeah. I look at the heart, you know. And, you know, Sam, Saul's heart starts out, Good here initially and and things go badly later, but you know this is a good reminder to us too that that we we draw conclusions uh about god 's ways by looking at the outward things, and we we think that you know by looking at somebody 's life or or uh, you know how they behave that 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 somehow uh, uh, or whether they're, they're prosperous or, or popular, that means they must have God's favor, and and we forget that the outward things really don't make a difference. God 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 sees the heart and and what our intentions are. But you're right. At least here initially, uh, even though Saul is um, uh, obviously uh, uh, handsome and and tall and impressive, uh, at least at the beginning here, Saul has a, a humble uh, view of himself. He's surprised that that God would choose him as a king.
0: Yeah, it it is um it, it is interesting because on the one hand it's like you can see how god is accommodating his people because they they what, what do they want, right? I mean like uh, people talk this way, you know, like the president is like a figurehead, right? I mean right. You, you you want or or it, even in some, you know, there's actually like a number of countries right that have like kings or emperors even when uh, the real power so to speak is uh, executed by their prime minister or something like that, right? So right. Uh, it, there, there is on a certain level. that they, they need to have the, a a tall, good-looking guy, right, <laughs> who is going to be able to like represent them, right. And so, like God finds one, right. He, he, you know, he finds this, you know, their their tall, good-looking guy. Um, but but he does go and he picks, uh, yeah, from from lowly Benjamin, um, and 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 it's so weird because like the way that he he picks them. It starts off with this this story about his father losing the donkeys, and Saul goes to look for the donkeys. I, I, th- I think we got to co- talk about that because it is this really weird juxtaposition about, as you were saying, kind of like the outward appearances of things. Uh, hold that thought. We got to take our break here, but everybody, hold on. We're looking at First Samuel chapter nine. Be right back. USA is the third largest mission field in the world and church planning is one of the most effective means of making new disciples, new missions to new people and new places. Get ready to plow the fields. Check out the Mission Field USA podcast produced by the LCMS Office of National Mission. You can find it at kfuo.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back everybody to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor AJ Espinosa. We're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 9, uh, this chapter where, yeah, it's it's like, what's going to happen? When's he actually going to get made king? You know, Uh, how's this going to happen? And and we're just kind of talking about this. It it starts off in just this really kind of bizarre way. It's the, the donkeys get lost um what's what's going on with this uh we're joined today by our guest pastor thomas Eckstein, pastor concordia at lutheran church in jamestown north dakota if you've got a question for us you can email it kfuo at kfuo.org already got a few coming in uh, kind of talking about the uh the qualities of selflessness humility steadfastness you know what are the qualities that make Uh, for good leaders even today and so those are some good questions we'll be taking a look at in a minute here also you can uh, join the live stream facebook.com slash aj espinosa um yeah some questions there, kind of more historical kind of like okay so what's going on with these high places uh what's this seer terminology uh those are some good questions we want to take a look at as well you can also if you're listening live call in 1-800-730-2727, one eight hundred seven three zero two seven two seven, 730 2727 or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. We want to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation for their support. Thank you guys for supporting Thy Strong Word. Their website, lhfmissions.org. So, uh, yeah, I kind of mentioned some of the questions that have been coming in, but I just want to start off with this donkey thing, because it's just— I mean, I don't. I don't know. I, I feel like there's something about this, and when when stuff happens with donkeys in Bible stories, I feel like there's. I, I mean, isn't there like often like significance? I mean, I think of like uh you know Balaam and his donkey that starts talking to him. Um, you know, I, I'm thinking of like you know Saul going down the road, uh to, uh Tarsus right, and it's all of a sudden you've got the donkey like uh I mean it's kind of like the the same sort of thing. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Like what what's what's going on with the donkey, so <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, you're going to have to tell me what what, what you think. I'll, I'll I'll go with a, a wild stretch. It's probably even more crazy than you're going to bring up. You know, at the very uh-huh. end of chapter 8, um, uh, everyone go back to his own town. And I remember once yeah. I, I, I actually wrote a sermon on this, uh, and I thought, you know, in the context here, Israel's asking for a king, but, but they're asking with wrong motivations, and God isn't very pleased, and he warns them that, you know, getting a king is ultimately not going to go well for them. You know, where's the gospel in this? And then I thought, you know, everyone go back to his own town. You know, that reminds me another time when someone went back to their own town, when, when David took Mary on a donkey <laughs> and mm-hmm. went, went yeah. to, uh, uh, you know, Bethlehem, and, and then the real king that would be a blessing to us was born. That's what came to my mind. But I'd yeah. like to hear your take. What, what do you think is the significance of the donkeys?
0: Well, that's interesting that you mention the story of uh, the nativity of our Lord, right? Because um, I, I think this recalls—I like, was doing some reading, and from what I recall, I don't think there's actually any mention of a donkey with, in connection to the Holy Family, but that the, the story so closely parallels things in the Old Testament, right? Um, particularly, I think, in the story of Ruth that we that we just kind of like fill in the blanks and we just and we just see these connections and so i I do think there is something there that when you have this donkey symbol it kind of invites us to make all these connections and we and we think about these sorts of things um and so yeah i i think that there is something to that that okay here's these you know we gotta we gotta go find the lost donkeys um I mean just just that idea I mean, makes me think of uh it's not the same animal but makes me think of David later who is just working for his father tending for the sheep right and right. so there's there's a kind of humility there where he's right. he's just you know a dutiful son just taking care of his father's animals you, you, know? you know um or uh, go ahead
1: well you know where I thought you were going to go uh, was with uh Jesus was gentle and humble and riding on a donkey you know coming in as you know the the king <laughs> but uh but I uh, you know there's just so many places you could go but you're you're making the analogy that okay here's Saul being humble taking care of his donkeys and then we have David also doing a very humble thing taking care of his sheep is that
0: where you're going at or well, I think I think there's like both of those sorts of elements there because you can there's lots of patterns of um, like humble, dutiful sons who are just taking care of their father's animals, uh, whether it's David taking care of of Jesse's uh, sheep, or whether it's uh, Joseph taking care of, uh, of of Jacob's sheep, right? Uh, you know, and, he, and he's out there, you know, with his brothers and and with the flocks when everything happens to him, right? Um, which ironically, though, right, is you know, everything happens, but it, it's kind of God's way of choosing him, though, right? Like setting him apart, actually, um, and, and kind of you go on in like other places too. So there is that element of he's just this dutiful son who's yeah. just humbly taking care of his father's animals, but then, like you were saying, the the donkey is particularly a symbol of peace and humility, um, particularly on the part of a, a leader. That they would come right. uh, in peace and gently um, and not as, I'm going to subdue you as a conqueror. Because it is striking that um, Saul does not go off to war and conquer the 12 tribes and say, you know, boom, you know, like, we've, we, we've got you. you, you've got to pay taxes now, we're centralizing the government. Um, th- this isn't some, like, powerful takeover on the part right. of Ephraim or Manasseh or Judah, like we could think of like the big tribes, and, and it's it's not that it's not it's not like, a, like this power grab. It's you know little Benjamin here, you know who's like the the youngest son of Jacob with the little tiny tribe that's nested um, between Ephraim and Judah, right? And, and he's just I, I mean I don't know. So so humility is kind of just written basically all over the chapter, and I think that this this uh, image of looking for your father's lost donkeys. It's just kind of the most like humble sort of way of depicting a dutiful son. I think you could think of, in the Hebrew yeah. context.
1: Absolutely, it would be like you know uh, uh, the next U.S. president was some humble farmer
0: from North Dakota. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. there, there you, yeah. there you go. Right? No, it's it, no, it's exactly it's exactly like that. I mean, like I think you think of Abraham Lincoln, right? Ridiculously tall dude, right? Yeah. Who's gonna like look good, like you know, in front of the camera, so to speak. Um, you know, but like, I mean, it wasn't everyone like talking about his, like, you know, his humble beginnings and like, uh, like the, oh, the, the log cabin or, you know, you know, like all this, I mean, so, um, it, it's, and there's no, there's, there's no accident why, um, you know, people even today gravitate towards that kind of imagery. Cause I mean, it's, it's even biblical and like, we kind of like know that, yeah, that's actually the kind of thing that would make a good leader. It's like a guy who maybe has the good qualities, but doesn't even know it because he doesn't think that much of itself
1: right right precisely
0: so so then so we 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 see this uh this, this very kind of just humble set of just circumstances here um it also works well because um you know it would have been different if samuel had just gone out with fanfare and just gone out to you know go visit Saul and his family, right? It's been like, oh, whoa, we're, we we asked Sam for a king, and where is he going, right? And we've turned into a parade, right? Uh, but <laughs> but so there's this there's this there's this very uh, humble um, and kind of discreet way of all this happening. It's it's uh, I think it's neat how. I don't know. I mean, like, isn't it just interesting how Samuel just kind of knows everything? I mean, this is the part where Samuel is reminding me of the Lord Jesus when he's talking to the yeah. disciples. And he's like, you know, hey, you know, go into the city and you're going to find this guy and you talk to him. And then there's you're going to find this donkey to go back to what you were saying, right. untie the donkey. And then, you know, I, I mean, so the way that he just kind of like knows everything that's going to happen, it's uh, it is pretty cool in the story here.
1: Well absolutely I mean he uh, uh you know m- many of the prophets themselves of course you know uh, Jesus is our prophet priest and king, so it's not just the kings that display christological you know aspects yeah. it's 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 the prophets too, and and you definitely see this in samuel yeah
0: so so you have Samuel in that way also uh prefiguring the Lord here, and uh i mean it really. Well, maybe maybe this is actually a, a good opportunity for for the question here. I, I feel like maybe this has to do with maybe that terminology of seer. I don't know what you think, but you know, uh, I think the term seer has these connotations of you know someone who has like visions, perhaps even visions of the future. Um, and it seems like Samuel is kind of functioning that way, in that God has told him ahead of time what's going to happen, right? I mean, we, we know, like, you know, it says here that God spoke to him and said, you know, hey, tomorrow, about this time, this is going to happen, right? Um, which, I mean, again, is also very interesting comparing the story later to Saul of Tarsus, right? How God also right. spoke to a, a certain prophet and said, hey, about this time, you're going to be visited by uh, somebody who you need to talk to.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, you know, to the question— Uh, I don't know if one of the questions was about verse 9, you know, where, you know, in Israel, the the person we now call prophet, which in the Hebrew would be Navi, you know, we used to call him seer, you know, which which is roeh. And, um, you know, it's it's almost like an editorial comment here. Uh, what do we make of this? Uh, I, yeah. I, 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 I like your take on it, but, I, you know, we don't know 100% for sure who wrote for Samuel. You know, tradition suggests Samuel wrote part of it, at least. But but even right. if Samuel did write this, you know, and, and maybe later in his life when he was writing this, uh, there had been a change in, in the use of vocabulary. We, we see that in our own, in my own generation, just how the English yeah. language has changed. You know, sure. and so here... Uh I think I think there was a, a definite overlap between, you know, Ro F, Seer, and Navi, Prophet. Uh, I, I don't really think they were talking about two different things. It was just a change in vocabulary. Um, but, but I think he's making this comment because uh, he's going to be using the more antiquated, you know, from the perspective of later readers, he's going to be using in the actual text the more antiquated, you know, term row F for Seer. And, uh, but I think really either way, it's still talking about a man who has been chosen by God uh, not only to foretell to proclaim God's word but but like we see in this case to foretell to to give you know uh revelations from God about future events.
0: Yeah, I, I think you can see how uh, both terms really, right? Th- th- there is this overlap and you could really describe it as either way because I mean just like you were saying, I mean what when a prophet is is speaking out and saying, "Hey, you guys, you need to uh, you know, stop doing this. This isn't this isn't pleasing to God. I mean, this is I mean, really kind of the basic function that the prophet is calling to repentance, right? Um, in connection to that, the prophet's going to say something like, "Cause guys, if you keep doing this, this is going to happen, right? I mean, like, and that's that's kind of the the pattern all the time, right? Whether it's uh, you know Jonah and Nineveh, like, hey guys, keep keep doing this, and you know it's going to wipe out your city or you know um it, you know the prophet daniel like you know hey guys if you head down this way you know, it, this kingdom is going to end and, and so there's there's kind of the the, the connection there that there's uh, always that association um it's good for us to not forget though that it's it's never just kind of fortune telling for the sake of fortune telling but for the sake of the the call to repentance but then as you said so it's kind of like you, you could kind of call the prophet then like either way if you want to focus on you know, how they, uh, are, are like preaching it, What's like, you know, today you can call someone a preacher, a minister, a pastor, a priest. I, I mean, you know, like people even say like, you know, like they'll say like the father, right. As a way of like referring to like, particularly like a, a, a Catholic priest, but maybe not even, uh, so I think you're right. There's this kind of like a flexibility, but it kind of shows how all those different roles in this office are interconnected.
1: Yeah, and I think it's important to stress here, you made this point, too, that this is not just generic fortune-telling here, like, oh, I'm going to go to just anybody who happens to have this gift of, of looking into the future. No, Samuel was directly connected with Yahweh. Uh, he was getting right. revelations from Yahweh. So this is not like, oh, I, I can go down to you know Bourbon Street in New Orleans and find some fortune teller or voodoo person. And no, right. now you're dealing with the occult. And I, I think interestingly, you're going to get to this later on. You know, sadly, you know, when Samuel hits. I mean when Saul hits rock bottom he and rather than going to a prophet of you know uh, God directly you know he goes to the witch of endor now of course he's trying right. to get to Samuel indirectly but the point is he goes to to a pagan seer to try to accomplish his ends and, uh, and of course that, that that is completely condemned
0: right right so so you've got um yeah very different perspectives on this uh, you know from the perspective of like God's people as, as a seer you can call him that um, but it's, uh, see her in a different sense. It's, you know, see her connected to that call to repentance versus like you were saying. Um, and, and the same thing I think happens in our language too. Like, I mean, you can talk about priests of any religion, right? You can talk about Hindu right. priests, right? I mean, um, and that looks really different from, <laughs> from say a yeah. Catholic priest, right? I mean, uh, so, so yeah, it, it's, it's, I think, I think you're right. It's like something that I think is pretty just kind of natural, um, uh, the one more question that we had about the uh, the language, though, is this, this bit about high places. And we actually didn't talk mm-hmm. about this last time, um, so it's actually from two times ago. Um, at the at the very end of chapter seven, we had this note that uh, Samuel built an altar there to the Lord, um, and here then we have this mention of there being a high place in the city. Um and, and kinda of throughout we hear about high places in the scriptures and the prophets. Um high places are not spoken very well uh, of in general. So what right. what's going on with these high places? Is this a good thing, a bad thing? What's up here?
1: Yeah, well you have to remember the the you know uh the ark had been gone for a while, you know, they finally got it back, but but the the, the final temple you know won 't get even built yet in Jerusalem for, for a while yet, and so you, you do have these um, uh, and, and then of course you know a, after uh, Eli and, and, and the and the horrible things that happened with his sons, you know the, 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 the priesthood is kind of in shambles at this point too, and so you do have these high places um, and they 're not necessarily um, uh, bad I, that 's why here there doesn 't seem to be anything in this chapter that suggests that Samuel was sinning, by having this high place. But I think the yeah. negativity you get in, in the future is is when the people uh, start bringing in pagan elements to these high places. You know, rather than right. doing things uh, in, in accord with the word of Yahweh, you know, they start, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, syncretism, bringing in, you know, uh, uh, various elements from, from other pagan religions, and then pretending that it's still all good. And, you know, uh, hey, we're still worshiping God. You know, we're just, you know, Uh, bringing a few other gods into it, but hey, it's still religion, that must be a good thing, right? And and then this is the kind of high places that end up being completely condemned. I I think of the modern you know, uh, uh, you know, equivalent, you know, you, you have people who basically say, hey, hey it, it, you know, all religions really say the same thing. I mean, as long as yeah. we're, we're talking about God, you know, that's good. Well, no. <laughs> and then I think in this context of 1 Samuel 9, uh, we have a high place that is orthodox, but then later on in the prophets, you, you end up having high places that are certainly not. And that's where you get the, the condemnation.
0: Yeah, I think that's just right. That, I mean, th- th- even the term, you know, high place, um, I-, I don't know why. Like, you, you got to stop and think about this. You know, we see it in the Psalms all the time. How often is God's, um, the place of God's presence described as a high place, right? You know, right. um, you know. I mean, just think of, like, the angels in the New Testament. Glory to God in the highest, right? Or, you know, God of right. the highest heavens, or God on his high holy mountain, his holy mount, Mount Zion, his holy hill. I mean, like, there's all this language, and it's always described as high, lifted up, All I mean, all this stuff. And so it's kind of like a—I don't know, just kind of a universal, intuitive thing that when you talk about, like, a, a high place, it's a place where you go to meet God, right? I mean, so yeah. it's a— <laughs>
1: Well, you even think, you know, when the temple finally is established on uh, Mount Zion in Jerusalem, you know, yeah. uh, you get this all over the Bible. You're, you're always going up to Jerusalem, no matter what exactly. direction you're coming from. You're always going up. So, yeah, like you said, the emphasis on this high place is very, very symbolic of, uh, you know, we're 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 we're, we're lifting our, our eyes to God, you know.
0: So right, 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 and so and so, there's just a kind of, I think, very intuitive way. That there these these things are connected, and so I think the word just kind of I means something like I I don't know like a shrine worship center. I, I mean I mean like in our parlance I mean it almost might even just be like church you know like where where it's I like people talk about yeah the you know they're they're going over to the church you know hall or something like that for the dinner or something. I mean you know I mean it's uh it, I think I think that they just kind of meant it in this sort of like everyday sense and it was just kind of the local center of of worship and the activity there so um i don't yeah I, I agree like i don't think that here it's necessarily bad especially since here it's associated with samuel who is there right. to like make sure that it's not going to be syncretism with you know baal and asherah and all, all this stuff right so uh but yeah but then later especially when like you were saying when there is a temple uh and a site where there's going to be this kind of concentration of orthodoxy like you were saying then these other places, uh, they're going to kind of start to develop this kind of like competitive spirit and say, "Well, you know what? Like, you know, guys, that, that's how they do it in Jerusalem, you know. But here, you know, we we have a little more flexibility, right?" right? And so, and so they start having this uh, this differentiation, I think, and they kind of start drifting away and just want you to do their own thing. And it's like once you get to that point, it's like, okay, high places are bad things.
1: Or right, exactly, exactly.
0: Uh, but so so for here though in the context um it's 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 a good it's a good thing um and and in fact it's a it's a place of uh honor and i think that's really striking in this story here reminds me of uh, one of the parables of our lord here but so there's this uh there's this banquet this uh this this meal that's had um it's you know you can kind of tell it's it's a big deal cuz it's like they're they're waiting for the prophet to come and bless it's connected with the sacrifice so it's a it's a big sacrificial meal so this isn't just like you know lunch right um it says there's invited guests and um and, and it says there also that there's like something like 30 people there and saul goes and gets the place of honor and not only that but like the the special like reserve cut of the meat right and everyone was like well i guess samuel you know saved that for himself or something right no, he's giving it to this guy. So this is this is quite the remarkable way where, you know, so to speak, the guy who chooses the, the lowest place is told, yes. friend, come sit here.
1: Yes. Yeah. No, I was just thinking of that when you were talking. You know, here here we have Saul in humility taking the lowest place and now he's being exalted. And uh and uh, when we think of how that mirrors Jesus beautifully. I mean he, he took the ultimate lowest place when he went to the cross. And then, of course, is exalted above every name at this point. So you get some... you know, uh, 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 real uh, pictures of Christ in, in this chapter. And then, you know, we don't want to make too much of the meals either, but y- you can't help but think of, of how it, it, it could at least be a, a foreshadowing of the ultimate meal uh, that we have with yeah. God uh, in, in the Lord's Supper. Um, you know, it, it, it's, I'm not saying this is equated with that, but, it, but at least there's an element here that, you know, we're, we're not only having fellowship with each other, but, but there's this closeness with God you know we're 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 in God's presence here and of course we get the ultimate of that uh, with the lord's supper where christ gives us his body and blood that he gave and shed for us
0: yeah i i don't think that's um at all stretching it too far i think that throughout the scriptures I mean, we've talked about it before a little bit um there's all these traditions that you kind of see popping up like there's there's that one where uh I mean, and and this is like one of the things that like the uh, the, the rabbis would w- would say. But like there there's this old tradition of that in the, in the beginning in Genesis you have like the creation of like the big sea creatures. It says and so there's this one tradition that well like one was left, but the other was was uh, was was slain, right? So they wouldn't reproduce and overtake the world. But that this one that was slain, then the meat was put on on uh, on reserve, like set aside and preserved. Uh, it would be the banquet feast later then for the the messianic banquet, and so like there's all these little traditions Just is a kind of funny example of it um of this idea of god's preparing this feast, right, and like Isaiah talks about this feast of of you know, well aged wine and fine meats and uh like you were saying the Lord talks about, you know, like this is a you know foretaste of the of the feast to come. I'll I'll drink of this cup anew in the kingdom. There there's all these little like threads throughout the scriptures that talk about this banquet meal um and even right. the marriage feast of the Lamb as it says in Revelation. Um and so I think that yeah like when you when you start talking about this that Samuel says, you know, bring the portion I gave you that i told you put it aside i i think this is like kind of hinting at this that wait like hang on a second like this thing that's been waiting this secret salvation of god um it, it is gonna start happening through this guy
1: yes yes exactly and um and even even when he ends up failing just like david will end up failing in in in, in his own way god is still bringing good through this he he is being faithful to his promise um, you know, until we get to the ultimate king who will not fail us in any way. But, but you know, what a comfort to know that uh, in the midst of all of our faults and failings, God is still being faithful and promises to bless us. You know, so like I said earlier, who, whoever ends up in office, uh, it's going to be a sinner. <laughs> whoever ends up present yeah. is going to be a sinner. But we trust that God still reigns and, and he will work through all all the faults and failures of sinners to, to, to give us the blessing that he knows is best for us.
0: Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's well said, because um, even as we're talking about how, you know, there's this Christological pointing ahead, and even the stuff about, you know, th- this, this meal that was, like, kept for you until the hour appointed, which sounds a lot like the Lord talking about, you know, his hour um, in the Gospel yeah. of John and all this. Um, uh, this is, on a, another level, just kind of what, what's true of all... Uh, leaders like like we read um, on Sunday in Romans chapter thirteen that you know they they all bear the sword and it was given to them by God that that God is really ultimately the one who is selecting our leaders and uh, the Lord said it to Pilate right that you wouldn't have any authority had you not received it from above so I mean just really um, a reminder uh, to humility for ourselves that you know here here he is you know Saul's getting. Uh, chosen here, and yeah, whoever ends up getting elected and who has um all this power, and we think to ourselves, Oh, but it was uh through corrupt means and it, it's not right well i mean there there's like you said, whoever gets elected <laughs> they're they're a corrupted sinner, but that doesn 't change the fact that it's it's who God has set over us um and so i mean that's that's really that 's really something to make you slow down and um well, yeah, call to humility.
1: Exactly, and I think too, we have to avoid you know the, the the secular idea that we we can actually create some kind of a worldly utopia if we just you know find the right ideology, find the right person, and as Christians, we know hey even though we we, we, we try to have the you know, the best government possible based on you know what we know god 's will is for how we are to live, the reality is this side of heaven we 're never going to get a utopia and to to try to attempt. To create it, especially apart from from the ways of God, is just sheer arrogance. You know, so finally, you know, as Christians, we realize, hey, uh, when God gives us blessing and prosperity, we praise his name. But when he allows us to have trial and oppression, we still praise his name, because he's still king, he still reigns, and, and the real utopia is yet to come.
0: Well, and, and I think that that focus that you're redirecting us to, just uh, focusing on God's qualities, really is ultimately where our attention needs to be. Because I, I think we, we sometimes go under like a microscope with people. And we, we we're trying to like, you know, I mean, this always happens in election years. It's like we're going to dig up every single thing the person's ever done, everything that right. any of their relatives has ever done, everything they've ever said, right? Um, any picture that's ever been taken of them, right? And we, and we just kind of like analyze it. Like we're going to—we got to find this perfect person. Um, but But you just see that here. It's like the emphasis here is not— on, oh, like Saul was the perfect guy, but, but God has this perfect plan, and he, it's, it's kind of mysterious why he'd pick the kind of the no name from, from Benjamin. And in fact, it, it seems like it's, he does this deliberately to show us, hey, guys, I'm not going to pick from the most powerful tribes. I'm going to pick from the least, and I'm still going to lead you guys to success. So, I mean, focusing on that idea God's God's mercy and his sovereignty, um, yeah. No, it, it's, uh, I appreciate you redirecting our attention. Uh, to what, what's important there. So thank you, brother. i loved our conversation today. And yeah, he set us up nicely for the next chapter here in Samuel. So God's peace, and uh, looking forward to talking to you next time.
1: All right, God be with you. Goodbye.
0: Thank you, everybody. That was Pastor Thomas Eckstein at Concordia, Jamestown, North Dakota, going on to Chapter 9. Till then, I'm Pastor h s Espinosa. Peace. Church,
1: Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.